Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Have a great day. My name is Ralph, and I am an alcoholic. And that was a real introduction, Scott. I want to thank you, sir. I almost wondered who was he talking about, right? Um, let me just take my phone out. I want to thank Dick and Barb again. I did a lot of thank yous when I came up the first time. Uh, I was coming to this conference um, just because I like it. Just because I like it. I remember when it was a concept in Dick's mind. And I remember when it came to fruition. So I was due to be out here uh, in Atlanta for for a couple of other deals that were going on, and I just wanted to attend them. And uh, Leslie said, you know, Woodstock of the South is going on again. So we saw it was on the web, and I said, let me slide a registration in and sneak in here because I just wanted to come hang out with you guys. And a couple of days later, I get a call from Dick. <laughs> and um, and what a privilege and what an opportunity. You know, I'm uh, kind of like my sponsor in the sense of, you know, I was like, uh, I just wanted to come and, and kick back and hang out. I called Bob. Bob said, you can do that and still give up hour of your time and, and um and it, and and for anybody that's new this year uh this is a get better program not necessarily a feel better program and if you're a person who's been guided by your feelings and instant gratification for most of your life you know Coming into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous is, is there are some things that are foundational, that are critical for me to, to get this thing recovery. And one of them is to realize that, you know, in getting better, I'll start feeling better. But I always used to think I need to feel like doing something to do it. And I'm glad that under the sponsorship that I had early on from the community that I come from and from the AA that I knew, people never paid attention. I don't feel like going to a meeting. I'll see you at the meeting. Um, Okay, I don't feel like. And every time I've been to a meeting, every time I've done something that I didn't feel like doing, I've never failed when I get with you guys, whatever it is that was holding me back, whatever I thought it was, I don't feel like going out. And I don't feel like taking a drive for two hours. I don't feel like getting out here in the middle of the night. I don't feel like, you know, a whole bunch of the inconvenience. And, and I had a friend who used to call it divine inconvenience. And I'm working into 12 step. Some of the promises of the 12 step. You know, and there are two places where there are promises in that chapter. And the chapter that's, that's devoted exclusively to the 12th step is our chapter 7, Working with Others. But our whole big book, Alcoholics Anonymous, is devoted to our 12th step. When Bill came out of the hospital, when you read Bill's story, one of the first things he talks about, he says, my wife and I 
enthusiastically, you know, devoted ourselves through ourselves into working with others. And later on, he said, if the alcoholic fails to enlarge and perfect his spiritual life through self-sacrifice and working with others, he won't be able to survive a certain trial. He won't be able to survive the old lady telling him, I'm leaving. He won't be able to survive the kid saying, I don't want to have nothing to do with you. He won't be able to survive the boss saying, dude, here's a brown box. We don't want to see you no more. He won't be able to survive the the foreclosures, the eviction notices, the money coming up short, the bills coming due. He won't be able to survive any of that. How are we able to survive that? Self-sacrifice, working with others. Recipe designed for living is at the bottom of every single thing we do. When we come out of sex conduct inventory, at the back of it, it says, if sex is particularly troublesome, we throw ourselves the harder in the working with us, working with others, working with others, working with others. My very life as an ex-problem drinker depends on my what? Constant thought of others and argument. So that's the theme. That's the running theme of our 12th step, and I get to talk about it. You know, it's been talked about by all the other speakers from the time we got here. You know, um, one of my favorites, and, and I'm not going to, yes, I am. Um, <laughs> Yes, I am. Because you know what I still love? Uh, I'm still a junkie. Uh, for Alcoholics Anonymous. I told you, you know, this is my second bite at the apple. You know, I was up here Friday night. And when I was up here Friday night, I told you I'm not a sipper. You know, I'm not a teetotaler. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not a sipper in recovery either. You know, when I go to one of these things, still I find you guys fascinating. Still, I sit on the edge of my seat. Still, when somebody like Mildred is talking like she did on Thursday, I get filled and I get full. I get information, and more than information, I get inspired. Uh, one of the reasons why I keep coming to meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, and uh, Barbara and Linda, when they did the butterfly meeting, I think that uh, there is so much wisdom, and, and I'm a guy that fortunately I'm open to that. I'm open to the kind of wisdom that comes from um, ladies of, uh, with that kind of insight and this kind of spiritual maturity. And um, I, I just, I like being in your company. And I like, I, I said it the other night, more than anything, especially with you two, deportment. Deportment. Uh, so, and and I, I speak for other people too. So we got some, I've had the opportunity to talk to some of our younger members and some of our younger ladies, you know. Uh, if you want to see transformation, if you want to see possibility, if you want to see what's available, if you want to have somebody to model, it's a whole lot of, and people be thinking, well, you know, we don't put people on pedestals. We don't put people on it. Well, you know, I put Kobe, I put Magic, I put some of you young girls, put Beyonce and Rihanna. You might want to put Linda and Barbara and Miss Mildred and Polly Pistol, you know. 
So, yeah, I come up in, I'm one of them people, because that's what I do. I'm a sports guy. It ain't an officer. So, it's, I think it's important in life for people to ask people to model. And in Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, I got a lot of them, you know, and, um, I get jazzed about the family thing, because I got family in here. And so when I saw, uh, Jane and James, Polly and Dave, oh my God, you know, Bob and Linda, you know, and this is, I'm, I'm gonna say this, because I get jazzed about that. I told you guys, my mom is, I'm, I'm gonna get to the 12th step. I'm just doing preliminaries, don't trip, you know. Um, <laughs> but, and, and I know Jane's family too, you know, I know her mom and dad. And so by extension, I was really going there. These two, uh, so much wisdom in that household, so much spirituality there. And I, uh, and Jane's story, oh my God, you know, when I think of Jane, and, and when you think of both of them, check this out. The power of Alcoholics Anonymous for our new friends. Somebody said it. Leslie tried to steal it from the isn't power. The beauty of Alcoholics Anonymous is the person telling the story is not the person in the story. To me, that is huge. Because when you heard this girl up here telling the story, Jane, rock and roll, you know, running in the barriers, you know, that, that was you. You know, and the person that's not in, and uh, and hopefully, that's why we clean up when we get up here, because hopefully we don't look like who we describe. If we still look like who we describe, uh, it's a little sketchy. But hopefully you might be sitting up there saying, not you. And when Jane tells her story, I always be like, no, not you, you know, uh, power of the power in um and so we had a trip through the steps. I'm not going to blow my, you know, you guys already know how I feel about my sponsor. You know, um, you already know. And if you got the opportunity to listen to him this weekend, then you you still know. And one of the reasons why this 12 step is so important, how do we experience it and how do we practice it and what's the importance of it? Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. So we don't know if you're going to get the new car. We don't know if you're going to get the girl. We don't know if you're going to get the husband. We don't know if you're going to get the wife. We don't know if you're going to get the career. We don't know if you're going to get a big house. We don't know about any of that. That's not what's guaranteed to us when we walk into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. But when I pick up the kid, a spiritual tools that's laid in my feet. Here's what it is that I am guaranteed to get. Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. Why do I want one of them? I want some money. You know. I need, you know, I, I, you know, the gorilla had its way with me, towed me up. I made it here. I didn't have ID. I didn't have a key anywhere. I didn't know if I would be employable. I had a two-year gap on my resume. I got a whole bunch of bills piled up. And the best y'all can offer me is this spiritual awakening. What? Yeah, that old man that was standing up here waxing eloquent a little while ago, it might sign, oh, sound okay for him, but look, he's retired, he's set, he's already, see, so you know, all that is well and good for you, Mr. White. You're standing up here 36 years over, got your own, blah, 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 but what about me? I really ain't trying to hear this spiritual experience. I need a place to live. I need a job. I need some money. 
you know. And and here's the good news in Alcoholics Anonymous, you know. If you come up in here, because I came up in here, and, and Sonia shared, she sang one of the things that was a theme in my life. You know, I didn't come up in here, that spiritual experience thing, I didn't come up in here walking toward the light. I came up in here running from the fire. And if your behind is on fire, this is the place for you to be too. Don't worry about what the spiritual experience looks like right now. Don't worry about what the spiritual awakening looks like right now. Don't worry about what making them, don't worry about all that right now. What we do is preview. What we do is give you spoilers. What we do is give you a glimpse of what your life can look like if you come in here and you come all the way in and you sit all the way down and you do what we do. We don't ask you to, we, we, we know. We know that you ain't interested in, in, in talk of spiritual things. We know that you ain't interested right now in talk of men. We know. We understand. But we also know this. We know what it's like to dance with the gorilla. And we know that if you anything like us, you know, me drinking, me getting loaded is like having sex with a gorilla. You ain't through till the gorilla is through, right? <laughs> So what we ask, new friends, when you come here, and I'm, 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 I'm really gonna give some substance to this 12 step. Why is it appealing? Why is it attractive? And what makes a guy like me think it's available for a guy like me? Yes, yeah, available to James Lee. It's available to Dick Anderson. It's available certainly to Bob Bazance, but what make you think, Mr. White, is available for a guy like me? And so I'm going to share, you know, hopefully this morning, the benefits of what it is to put your feet on a path that really goes somewhere. Because I didn't have money, money come and go. Have friends come and go. Have stuff, stuff come and go. Had houses, houses come and go. But this thing about a spiritual awakening, this thing about being a, and what it looks like with flesh on it. You know, I'm going to take a real quick journey because really what we've talked about this weekend uh, is not a series of discrete homework assignments. Sometimes you'll think these steps on the wall is a series of little independent discrete steps that I take. That No, no, it's an integrated series of actions that I take that are woven into the fabric and it becomes a lifestyle. That's what we've really been talking about, the AA way of life a design for living. It's not just these series. And really, the steps, they're just titles. The steps are titles. When I read the first step, that doesn't mean it's it's in my life. It just means I read. Sometimes people think I read the steps, so that means I've taken the step. No, I just read the 12 steps off the wall. Those are titles. And so when I do that first step, I never had a problem. I'm going to go real fast, you guys, and talk about how this is interwoven through and, and what this, what it looks like in real life with flesh on it. You know, when I came in 33 years old, you know, under the lash of drugs and, and alcohol, I had, it had, 
uh, its way with me, and I was in a real bad way, and I was in a real bad place, and I was in a real dark place. I had not gone to work in two or three years, no longer thought I was employable, didn't know where my family was living, didn't know where my little girl was enrolled in school, had lost self-respect, had not looked at myself full face in the mirror in over a year. So that year of 1986, at 33 years old, when I washed up on the shores of Alcoholics Anonymous, I was done. Stick a fork in me. You know, I didn't really need, I had done the, the critical part of the first step, and I had done the real first step. You know, step one is not the first step in recovery. I had done step one in 1985. I had admitted I was powerless over alcohol, and my life had become, but I got loaded again. Why? Because I admitted it. Why did I admit it? Because it's the price of admission to talk at a meeting, and I like talking. So I would say, I'm an alcoholic. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm admitting it, but, you know, I had not conceded to my animal self. And so on day 89, when I drank again, because I really did not concede to my innermost self that alcohol had worn me out because if you were doing all the things I was doing, i.e. alcohol, cocaine, weed, all the rest of the stuff, I hadn't really fully conceded to my myself. But when I drank that Long Island iced tea and it took me on a ride for 13 months, when I came back I had conceded to my innermost self that I was an alcoholic. So that first step was embedded in me. I still needed you guys to kind of help me with the physical allergy because I I knew it was something bodily different about me, but I had it wrong. I thought the reason that I did it so tough was I had high capacity. No, 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 no. There's something different about you in another way. I thought, don't ride, don't try to roll with the big boys if you can't get out with them. No, 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 no. Then pointed out that it's something physically different. I either was born without a regulator or I got a regulator that's broke. I don't have an off switch. All I got is all. You know, I didn't even know bottles came with caps till I got sober, right? You know, so then went to that second step. You know, okay, I know. I needed a, I already knew I had a power bigger than me. We called it alcohol. I needed a power bigger than it. And this power that you guys tried to introduce me to, I already thought I had a passing relationship with it because I was raised in Baptist church. Polly talked about that Baptist church. And in a Baptist church, that's different than a Catholic church experience. Baptist church is a high energy. Catholic church is kind of awe-inspiring. It's kind of, ooh, you know, it's, it's, it's a solemn affair. It's, you know, it's, and, but, but a Baptist experience is kind of high energy, especially Southern Baptist church. And at a certain point in the proceedings, apparently, it never happened to me, apparently this feeling would roll through the church. They would call it the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. And sometimes people were compelled to jump up. And t- and I would be sitting on the pew next to my mom. I'm eight years old. I'd look at her and be like, you better not jump up in here and embarrass me. Right? I've been self-centered for a long time. Church, you know. Church to me seemed like myths, stories, fables. You know, uh, you might as well, my friend Steve talks about, you might as well be reading Jack and the Beanstalk as to be talking to me about spiritual matter. And, 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 and curiously, you guys, when I came in here, you know, cause I came to you guys with that. You know, religion is opiate of the people. I'd rather smoke mine. Thank you very much. You know, uh, uh, clever sayings in the 60s, you know, and I came in here to skeptic, to scoffer, to, you know, um, the cynic, and you gave me another name. You called me agnostic, and you pointed me somewhere. You know, and the thing about that, uh, 
smart guys like me that's too smart for their own good, occasionally we stumble into something without knowing it. Because to me, spiritual, religious stuff, that was stories, myths of faith. And it turns out, and that's one of the reasons why my sponsor is my sponsor, because he takes me different places, and I, I kind of like uh, uh, exploring the nature of, of what I don't know. You know. It turns out the language of spirituality is never meant to be literal anyway. So when I was sitting up in churches tripping off the fact that, oh, wait a minute, this Daniel and the lions did Ain't never meant to be literal. Now, unfortunately, some of the churches that I go to teach it that way. I rebel and resist because intuitively, but in the ancients and with the mystics, it's never meant to be that way. So when I'm scoffing about the stories of Daniel and the lions, then we like, God, what you guys, you guys were able to take me to places. Ralph, look at your own experience. How many times in your life have you been surrounded by the lions? The bill collectors, you know, the people coming at you with that. You know, you've been surrounded by situations where you just didn't see any way out. And you call on a power. And that power, my mama was a great example of that. You know, and you call on that power. And somehow, some way, you ain't been devoured. Somebody, I think um, Mildred was talking about that. You know, empowered or devoured. You ain't been devoured yet. The lions ain't got you yet. You've been in many lions' dens in your life. You've been in many lions' dens in recovery. You've been in many lions' dens throughout the entirety of it. And when you call on that power, what has happened? How many times have you been in situations when you couldn't see your way to the other side? Somebody's in a dark place right now. Can't see my way to the side. I don't know how these bills going to get paid. I don't know how this situation's going to resolve. I don't know how these people are going to get placated. I don't know what's going to happen on the other side of this and you call on that power and amazingly a way is made and the sea is parted and you get to the other side. And so those kinds of things, the language of spirituality is storytelling. The language of spirituality has never been literal. The language of spirituality, the best way to see the power and the best way to focus on, it's always through metaphors, through similes. That's, that's how that's been translated forever. Wow, wait a minute. So, you know, this thing you've been scoffing about actually is the gateway for you. And it opened up. Ask yourself, are you willing to believe? Or do you not believe? Or even, are you even willing to believe? And you guys, one of the reasons why I go to meetings and going to meetings, new friends, is so necessary, is that's where we get the witness testimony. I don't know how many of you guys have been in a courtroom you know, on the wrong side of the docket, you know, and usually there are a couple of things that are persuasive in the courtroom. One is documentary evidence. Yeah, that's his handwriting. Yeah, that's him. Yeah, that's his his picture. Or witness testimony. And when I go to a room of Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, yeah, I'm skeptical. Yeah, I'm scoffing. Yeah, I don't believe it. But every time I go to a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, somebody will stand up in front of the room and say, my name is Dylan. I, you know, alcohol had its way with me. I have found a power bigger than me. I haven't had a drink in two years. Yeah, my name is Leslie. Alcohol had its way with me. I found a power bigger than me. I ain't had a drink in 18 months. Yeah, my name is Dick. Alcohol had its way with me. I found a power bigger than me. I ain't had a drink in 30 years. And 
And I'm not stupid. I'm arrogant and I'm stubborn, but I'm not stupid. Not that many of you guys are going to be lying to me. The witness testimony. And the thing about a guy like me, I continue to need witness testimony. I continue to need witness testimony about, you know what? The IRS came after me for $80,000. I didn't have to drink. My wife left me. I didn't have to drink. I lost my job. I didn't have to. I keep going to me, and I keep getting the witness testimony. The witness testimony about the power of the power. And so that propelled me into this third step, you know, made a decision. And, and you know, this bondage itself deal, you guys, that's the whole rest of the deal. I'm tying into this sort of stuff. Relieve me. And that's the bait and switch step, I think, in Alcoholics Anonymous. Because I don't know when that happened. I thought when I got on my knees in the third step, I would be saying something like, God, offer myself you do to build with me. Do Relieve me of this terrible obsession to drink beverage alcohol. Relieve me of this terrible obsession to drink and use relieve me of this overwhelming desire but something else came out of my mouth relieve me of the bondage of when did we agree to that I call that the bait and switch moment in Alcoholics Anonymous, right? I thought I was coming in here to get the gorilla off me and you guys put me on my knees and I get off my knees saying I want to be released. And the cold thing about bondage itself, my friend Steve talks about it two ways. The bondage is self, and the person that's holding you in is self. So the prison is self, and the prison, the gate is self. Oh, my God, double bondage, you know. I'm bound up, you know, and released. And the whole rest of the thing, you guys, you know, the rest of the program, you know, 4 through 12 is all designed. Relieve me of bondage yourself. You know, too much me between me and the power. I was at breakfast one time with a sponsor of mine, and they were saying, Sponsor, I really want to do these steps because I think there's so much more to me. I said, no, baby, we need so much less of you. You know, we, we do not need it's not so much more. Too much me between me and the power. So the short formula for you algebraic people and you mathematicians, the short formula for all of the rest of what we're going to do, this relieve me of the bondage itself, deal, broke eye, shrink Ralph, whole deal. That's what the rest of the program is. Broke eye, shrink Ralph. You ain't got to go looking a long while away. You ain't got to go reading a lot of stuff. That's the formula. Now, how do we do it? We got, you ain't got to go look for that either. We start by looking at what it is that blocks me. This business of grace, you know, and that is that, you know, we talked about that some, and the thing about this business of grace, it's available there. I love when Mildred talked about if God had plucked, some people say, you know, God decided that on this day you would get so, I don't believe, I don't believe God does picking and choosing. I try not to talk about what other people say, you know, because there's value for most things that are said. So I try not to be in the bash at what people saying but if there's one thing one thing you know when it talks about where the chosen i don't believe god does choosing i don't think god is that i don't think he's he discriminates like that i don't think he's that petty i think people choose you know and and, and so uh when desperation meets opportunity there's a small window of grace that opens up and on october the 11th 86 i chose to jump through the window I jumped through the window. 
you know, and grace found me. And the thing about this business of grace, it's it's interesting um, because on October the 10th of 86, I couldn't put it down. From October the 11th, 86 to this day, I haven't picked it up. What got me today to? I haven't been to a meeting, didn't have a sponsor, hadn't done an H&I panel, didn't have a home group, you know, had not done a fourth or a fifth step, had not done any of that. What got me today to? It had been as if a wave had been washing my life away up to that point. And on October 11th, 86, the wave stopped right here. What's that wave stopping? Most of our members call that grace. And we know we don't create the grace. We don't produce the grace. We can't control the grace. We don't predict the grace. But all of us here who've got a sobriety date know that we have certainly availed ourselves of the grace. And I think grace is available to the drunk that's on the street right now, just as available to anybody in this room. So what's the difference between him and us? It ain't that God is not sending out grace. I remember I was walking to a meeting about 30 days, no, about 70 days sober. Saw an old timer. I said, John, what's going on? He said, Ralph, he said, Ralph, what's going on with you? I said, I'm just doing God's work. He said, what do you think you can do for God? God can't do for himself. <laughs> now that floored me because I thought I gave the right answer because I'm a right answer guy, right? But my feet are trained in Alcoholics Anonymous. And one of the things that has been, uh, that's held me in good stead all these years is I've always respected the people who preceded me and I've always been curious. So I asked John, wait a minute, John. So what is my deal? He said, Ralph, God gave you something he didn't even reserve for himself. I said, what is that? He said, he gave you the choice over whether or not you're going to return his love. God has no choice. God is love. Your job is to do for God's kids. God's job is to do for you. Wow. And so this business of grace, he says, you know, and so God is love. God don't do but one thing. He don't withhold grace. He's not a withholder. God just keep guiding. He just keeps sending out grace. The receiver is blocked. My job, and it's been my job all these years, you know, I don't create the grace. I wipe the window. I smudge the window. And so I wipe the window in four and five. I start. You know, and in five especially, we start seeing some glimpses. Some of the fifth step promises are powerful promises. You know, we start feeling the nearness of our creator. And then I go to six and seven and I wipe it some more. It's interesting. I was thinking when Mildred was talking and she said, when we read the seventh step and we come off our knees in the seventh step, and that's a wonderful prayer. My creator, I'm not willing that you should have all of me, good and bad. You think of the implications of that. We got some people who've been talking about successful marriages and who've been happily married couples and the rest of that who do this. And most of the time, fellas, ladies, when we hook up and when we get together and we start dating, older members might call that dick, I'm going to go to your ear, courting, you know. Um, <laughs> When we start dating, whatever it is, most of us send our representatives. 
Leslie, I don't want you. I, I, I want you to see the good of me. I want you to see the best of me. I want you to see how much man this is you get. You know, most of us don't go into it saying, I am not willing to good and bad. I'm just coming out of fifth step. I see the worst of me. I see the very worst of me. My creator, just like this. I'm not hiding because I'm a hider. You know, I'm a perpetrator. I am a, I am a presenter. I send my representative. And in the fifth, and in the sixth and seventh step, in the seventh step, I'm coming flawed me. Just like this. I'm not willing to juice it out. Good and bad. You know, and that, there's so many, and he takes that. And he says at the end of that prayer, it says, we have now completed step seven. And Mildred was saying, mm, that's interesting, and talked about the 12 and 12. But I think we have completed step seven if I really know the implications of six and seven. Because all I say is the prayer. Ralph's job is out of it. God, it's your job to do the change. You know, in the six and seven step, it says I'm now willing. You know, that okay, God, you got to do it. You got to do it. I can't say, you know, you, when you hear about defects of character and in the seventh step, we talk about removing defects. In, in, in most senses, when we hear about it in a commercial sense, when do we think about a defect? Well, a car is defective and they recall all these models. And when they recall defective cars, what do they do? Recall to what? To the manufacturer. Why? Because the car don't work on itself. car don't work on itself. Six and seven, recall the manufacturer. I don't work on itself. Recall the manufacturer. So sevens, I'm done. I'm out of it. Now I just cooperate and I stand back and I look and I watch God work. Well, when do I start watching him work? When I go to those steps that Bob called it rocketed me and I go to A9. Immediately, if I start doing an M, if I start doing immediately. Many of those defects of character that I've been asking God, immediate procrastination, immediately I'm dealing with some of that stuff. Self-righteousness, immediately. Judgment, immediately. You know, so all all those things that I got to be written, even to embark on doing this deal eight and nine. You know, so now I'm walking and now I'm walking. So now when I start the ninth step, this thing, so th- this integrated series of actions, they don't, re- they don't rely on you. I have to finish this to move it. No. You know, what it's doing is in Ralph. Check this out. We've looked at what it is that we did that have given us the life that we have now. It was about a hundred of us in 1937, 38 that sat down, and it really wasn't a hundred, about 76, but we rounding up, we do a literary license, right? And so we, we, we did that, and we sat down, and we went over what it is in common. Not some outlier stuff, because if, if you would talk to Ralph, Ralph would have probably added some other stuff in that he did, you know. Well, every night before I went to bed, I drank some warm milk. No, we're not putting that in the book. No, that's, that's, that's not a common experience. That's, you know. So they looked at in common everything that they did. And, and when you think about 
that whole deal and why it is that we're here enjoying like we are right now. Most of us talk about us being a divinely inspired society. And why do we say that? A lot of people get it wrong why it is that we say it. And for me, well, I don't know if they get it wrong, my opinion. The reason why I say we're divinely inspired is because this book of ours that has saved so many of our lives, what's in the book is beyond the scope of the writers. It's beyond the scope of the writers. You know, they didn't have no business being able to put something together like this. And then, who in here has three years sober? Not more than three years, exactly three years sober. Anybody in here is a, you? Hold your hand up. You got exactly three years sober. Okay. How many people got less than three years sober? Okay. We want you to take all these people out, go in the hall, write a book that's going to say the rest of our lives. And we laugh at that. I, I tend to side with I think sometimes the older I get, I grow away from the power. Sometimes when you when, when you have that naivete, I think when Bill and the, and the boys were commissioned and they said, let's write this book, they had just, but three was alone. Everything is relative. Everything is relative. When you're coming out the dark, when you're coming out the caves, when you're coming out of nowhere, three years without a drink, it's a long, long time. We scoff at it now because we got people with 55 sitting in front of us. We got people we see that have had 60 years. You know, so we scoff at the three. But the three, but the three, and he had enough. And when you three, you cocky enough too. Yeah, I, I'll take this on. Yeah, you ain't nobody telling you. Nothing. And so they took it off. And they wrote some stuff. Now, when they wrote the promises, when they wrote the promises, most of them were like in the months. They didn't really know anything about a new free. Yeah, they had a new freedom, a new app. They didn't really know anything about economic insecurity. They didn't really know for a fact. They didn't have sample size. We've got sample size. And the thing about seeing sample size is we are able to evaluate what they wrote that was optimistic for the most part. And we are able to evaluate and say, y'all hit it right on the mark. How did you do this? Who got at the pen of a three-year-old and a bunch of other people? And so we say, divinely inspired. And, they, and, and so they wrote this, and now they look back, and they put it on paper, and they pass it down to us. And so what ends up happening is they, as a result of that, they say one of the things that we found foundational for anything we do is this business of one drunk sharing with another. It started from our formation. It started when this drunk got sober. And he had about that, and he had six months under his belt, and he was so on fire, and he was running around talking to people, at people, right? Not to people, at people. You need to have this bright light experience. You need to get struck like I was struck. And he was talking to people, and they were running, nothing, dude, you messing up my high, go somewhere. I ain't trying to, you know. And he rolls back to Silkworth. You know, the story goes. And Silkworth tells Bill Wilson, quit hollering at them like we're, we're preaching at them. Ain't nobody else going to have that experience, Bill. 
you know, maybe you need to focus on this hopeless feature. Maybe you need to start sharing with And so he goes off. And remember, Bob talked about him and his old lady, Bill and Lois, staying about 50 places in two years. So they needed some money. He was ass out when he got sober. He really, really was. He was in a real bad way. And some people put together a business deal for him. And if he'd have been successful in this business deal, I want you to hold that theme. If he had been successful at this business deal, if he had been successful at that business deal, he'd have got a vice presidency out of it. And he would have been set. And uh Dick, I struggle. I need to be set sometime. You struggle. It would look good to have a bunch of money sometime, right? And so this guy went out to Akron, Ohio, and his business didn't come off too well. And he found himself pacing a hotel lobby. And in that hotel lobby, he got thirsty. He could see the bar from the lobby. He could hear the ice clinking in the glasses. And a thought came to him. Funny thought. See, me and Dick, that thought wouldn't have came to us. I'm glad it was Bill Wilson pacing that lobby because I'd have been focused on, I needed this money, man. I already was counting it up. I already had the bills we were going to pay. I already had how we going to come out from under. I already had how I'm going to make my wife finally smile after all this time when I've been letting her down. Me and her been just picking, taking these drunks up in this place, and we don't have nothing to show for it. I'd have been in self-pity, man, because I knew I needed this deal to happen. But he's pacing the lobby, you guys. And a thought came to him while he's pacing the lobby. Not about, man, I need to go drown my sorrows. I knew this wasn't going to work. This recovery thing, I done got all excited, got myself all worked up. Man, I knew this wasn't, that wouldn't, but a thought came. Don't know where it came from. Thought came. I've been, I've been hollering at drunks for the last six months trying to get them sober. I need to find a drunk so I stay sober. My program turned on a dime right then. That's what defines us. We don't work with others to get them sober. We work with others so we stay sober. Sponsors, stop tripping. I don't know why they don't want to do the work. I don't know why they're wasting my time. What do you mean wasting your time? My very life as an ex-problem drinker depends on my constant thought of others and how I can meet meet their needs. Nothing ensures immunity from drinking. And this sentence came from that pace in the hotel lobby. Nothing ensures immunity from drinking as much as intense work with another alcoholic. And when you think about immunity and immune system, you know, lately in the 90s it came up, this whole thing about an immune, a deficient immune system was age, you know. So if you're working around here without an immune system, if you ain't working with others, you're working around here with spiritual aids. You know, that's my immune system. That is my, don't be sitting up here tripping, I come there ain't work. No, that's my immune system. We work with others so we stay sober. And here's the thing, when you've been doing it for a minute, you realize the honor 
You realize the privilege. You realize what it is to walk with purpose. You realize what it is to walk. Because I've had, I've had a lot of successes in recovery. Here's the thing when you get successful. Don't let the life that AA gave you get in the way of your AA life. Huh? Somebody in here got a brand new job. Somebody in here got a brand new girl. Somebody in here got a brand new guy. Somebody in here is excited about something new. Somebody in here is so excited that I'm, a, okay, let me get some balance and let me, that's a, that's a scary word for me. Now I'm not knocking it. It's cool for some other people. I don't look for balance. I just look for power. You know, I don't really look for balance. I look for God. I, I you know, my default position is me. My default position is me. So everything else moves me off that. I don't even have to look for, you know, I'm always going to incline toward me. So I don't really have to look. I'm I'm not a balanced God. I'm, you know, I'm I'm not because I'm not a sipper anyway. So anyway, uh, so, so, so this business of, of working with others, man, you know, it is the privilege of that. Because like I said, I've had my my third major valley, which I shared about the other day. Um, I learned some stuff about me. Because uh, stuff has gotten good in AA. One of the things I've never done is I've never left you. Stuff has gotten bad for me in AA. One of the things I've done is I've never left you. When it gets hard, when it gets rough, when it gets bleak, when it gets dark, what we do, we lean in. We lean in to Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't care how dark it gets in your life. The view is much better from the middle. I'm telling you, from I'm talking about things I know. The view is a whole lot better from the middle. And the thing about this business of having a spiritual awakening, you guys, so now I'm somewhat down this path for a minute. I'm going to share something before I forget. We've done a lot of talking this weekend, and, and, and Dick and Barbara really thematically want this conference to really be about family and really be about that. But I want you to hear something. Everybody that's here. And I'm gonna say it on their behalf and anybody and on behalf of Alcoholics Anonymous. Nothing in Alcoholics Anonymous, even when we talk about what we want a theme to be or what we want a you know kind of an overriding, you know, topic. Nothing in Alcoholics Anonymous is ever exclusionary. If you're sitting here, I was thinking of Mildred. If you're sitting here and you by yourself. And it gets lonely in the Christmas holidays. And you listen to all these people and these happy couples. And you wonder, where's mine? And you think to yourself, is that the measure and is that the standard of alcoholics of violence? It is and it ain't. It is and it ain't. It is something to strive for. It is something to grow toward. It is something that's possible. It is one of the reasons why when we are society first group, one of the biggest reasons was reuniting homes. Talked about reunite. So it's a huge part of our society. But don't get us wrong. 
We see you. We invite you if you have not found a family. If you're out there floating on your own. If you're out there for the holidays and it makes you feel like, damn, this is accentuating where it is I am. I ain't got nobody. Ain't nobody going to want me. I'm not going to be in there. No, 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 no. We invite you to come all the way in, sit all the way down. You know, you are part of a larger family, whether you know it or not. First name, your name. Last name, alcoholic. You'll never have to walk alone a day in your life again unless you choose to. So I really, really was moved to say, because, you know, one of the things in my community at home is a lot of people. I, I, I got a thriving family, and I'm proud about it. I talk about it. You know, we, we, we are a sober family. But the thing about that for us is it allows us we big and we absorb. So on Christmases and on Thanksgivings, if you were in Los Angeles, California, and you were by yourself, you don't have to be by, you come to the White House. On Christmas, so in Lake Lanier, this family gathering, this, you make this your family. So when you come here, you don't feel ostracized and left out included and pulled in because that's what we do when our society when this pandemic hit we were the best suited and best i was so proud of alcoholics anonymous you know i in, in the rest of the world people were isolated people were shutting and people were we and i mean we ramped up in a, in a couple of days i remember telling leslie somebody had asked me to speak on a zoom i had never heard of zoom i said i ain't gonna be talking sitting in front of a computer i'm used to this bob talks about pitchers and catchers there's energy in the room you think that the only person that's providing this is the person that's up here no 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 active listeners are participants in a room and there's energy and god is up in there and so i was like i couldn't imagine that i couldn't imagine it but our society came together and the reason why you know um let me say this and, and get ready to get out. I was telling Leslie we need to start this meeting on time because I got to get out of here. In 1987, you know, talk about carrying this message and practicing these principles in all our families. And those two are intertwined. Sometimes you think of those as discrete, two discrete parts, you know, uh, spiritual awakening, you know, and, 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 you know, carrying the message, practicing principles. Think that those are discrete parts of the 12th step, and they're intertwined in the 12th step, because you can't effectively carry the message if you're not effectively practicing principles. I consider what you do speak so loud, I can't hear what you say. So if you're standing up here, and one of the reasons why the people that are my heroes are my heroes is because they, they, they really are good communicators. But that's not that's not really why it is that I follow them. They're principal practicers. That's really what it is. And so, if, if and the two got to be meshed together. They're not discreet. They're not discreet. You know, the reason why I am so, hell, you know, when Polly Pistol gets to me, it's not so much because she's, you know, a great communicator. Polly is one of the realest people I know. 
one of the realest people I know, you know, and, and put skin on. I need to, I used to say, Alcoholics Anonymous don't need me, but I need Alcoholics Anonymous. I don't say that no more. Some of you guys are old enough. It's people from my era that can remember the old, you know, the old slogan and the old recruiting poster. Uncle Sam needs you, and he'd be in the hat, and he'd be pointing. Alcoholics Anonymous needs you. Your voice is the only voice that sounds like you. Alcoholics Anonymous needs you. Well, wait a minute. I thought our real reliance is on a power that's greater than ourselves. I thought that my real reliance is on this God. Absolutely. How is he expressing himself to that brand new man or woman? That brand new man or woman needs to see and hear you. Needs to hear you. Alcoholics Anonymous is not a faceless entity. Alcoholics Anonymous walks and it talks and it shakes hands. It's got broad shoulders. You know, it's got a face and it's yours. You are the only person somebody might see one day. Alcoholics Anonymous, what is it? That's a wonderful thing to have purpose. That's a wonderful thing to have usefulness. That's the wonderful thing to have what it is that we went through transformed into something that's gold. You know, why waste it? Why waste all them days you were throwing up? Why waste all them days you spent in the backseat of the police car? Why waste all them days you had bracelets on? Why waste all them days that you were embarrassed and walking out the job with a brown box? Why waste all them days when you walked the yard? Why waste all them days when your old lady threw your clothes out in the street in front of all the neighbors? Why waste all of that? You went through it already. It'll be spun gold in Alcoholics Anonymous. That that is the stuff that we, that is, that's our, that's our stuff. That's our juice. That's our usefulness. You know, that God needs a faith. You, we the face. We the face of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, it's like God is throwing in, he, I always like to think of God had flyers, it's us. You know, it's us. That's, that's, that's what we do. We represent, we speak. When, when, when my, when my sponsor was standing up here, it was just hitting me like a ton of bricks. I need to see, you know, I need to see what this, cause I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I've been doing this a long time, you guys, and, 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 and I like to think that I'm grounded and I like to think I'm connected. There are times I drive in my car and say, what if I'm lying to myself about all this? I don't, I don't trip off that. You know, God is big enough for me. You know, I, the thing that I, I, I get the most intrigued by for me is, um, is my sense of wonderment and my sense, and, and I'm not scared. I'm not scared. That's where I grow, I think, is, is in my questioning. What if I'm lying to myself about all this? What if there ain't no power? What if you're saying that to yourself? And then, and then another answer comes to me, and it's it's more pragmatic than it is spiritual, you guys, you know. Uh, and that's well, 
if you lie to yourself. It's more comforting to me to believe there is a power than the not to believe. I'm a daddy. I'm a granddaddy. I get scared sometimes. It's more comforting for me to believe that there's a, I quit. I'd lay down if I didn't believe that. I'd lay down and quit if I didn't believe there was a power that was ordering my steps. I'd lay down and quit if I didn't believe there has been something that has transformed me and continues to transform me to this day. In 1987, I got really, really interested in, in our deal, our program of recovery, because I'm a guy that gets interested in anything he's involved with. And some people presented the Big Book Alcoholics Anonymous in a way I had never seen. And I was a year sober. And I was at a marathon meeting in L.A. And some people came up from this group. And and in this slot that they had, it was an hour and a half slot. And they would send two members up at a time. And the two members would talk about a step. I had never seen that. And the way that they talked about the step was amazing to me. I was like, wow. And at the end of that meeting, me and my brother Ron and my boy Strange asked these two people from that group, would you guys do this for us? So in November, it's November now, and it could be this Sunday. In November of 1987, uh, 12 of us sat around my mother's dining room table. Me and my brother asked my mom, would you mind if we opened up the house? And the power of the power. I'm sure that my mom was hoping that when her boys got sober, they'd return to the Baptist church. I am certain that my mom was hoping we'd return to the faith of our birth when we got sober. But my mom is more spiritual than she is religious. And my mom saw the evidence. And she didn't want to mess with the evidence. And if you'd had your boys doing to you what we did to her, you wouldn't have wanted to mess with the evidence either. So my mom didn't want to rock the boat. She saw what was happening with us in Alcoholics Anonymous. And it was Sunday morning when we asked if we could have these people come over. And my mom didn't say, no, why don't you guys come back to church? She said, absolutely. And on Sunday morning, in a November Sunday morning in 1987, it's been 35 years now, Twelve of us sat around my mother's dining room table, and we started going through the Big Book Alcoholics Anonymous as a group. And we did that for about a year, and we went all the way through Chapter 7 working with others. And when it said pray, we prayed as a group. When it says write, we wrote. When we said do amends, we came back and reported on the amends we had made. When there were questions, we asked. When there were promises, we looked at them. And we liked it. Had no intention of doing it again. Some people had heard about it, said, we'd like to do that. And we opened up again. And we've been going through that process and opening up and closing. So when I get out from here, I'm going to run back to my room. And in the last three years, we've been on Zoom when we shut down. And it'll be about mm, 480 people on there when I go to my room and Carrying the message of Alcoholics Anonymous. Didn't Just three guys on fire with something that was new. Three guys that had discovered a way up and a way out. Three guys, you know, that.
uh, got infected. Caught alcoholism in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, I got lit up. You know, and, and the thing that keeps me lit up, man, that 12 step, you know, it's available. It's available. You know, and I'm going to tell you why it is that that spiritual awakening, you get that woke up. Don't worry about the money. Don't worry about the girl. Don't worry about the guy. Don't worry about money come and go. There's an old guy. I never met him. I know Bob, you probably did. I, I heard his tapes. Um, Franklin Williams. I know you probably did. Dick, you may have. I don't know. He was gone before I got here. Uh, Franklin Williams used to call himself the Pope of Alcoholics Anonymous. And Franklin Williams says uh, something in his talk. And he says, I can run out of money. I can run out of friends. I can even run out of hope. He said, but I can't run out of God. I can't. Not I won't. I can't run out of God. And it's been my experience over these last years, staying connected, continuing to practice the principles and carry the message at our best. That's what we do. At Alcoholics Anonymous, at our best, we're storytellers. At Alcoholics Anonymous, at our best, we're one drunk sharing with another. At Alcoholics Anonymous, everything we do, the trappings, the frills, everything we do is to facilitate one main thing, one drop, share with another. My name is Ralph. I am an alcoholic. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.